does not milk of the flock. I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others shared the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not, did not use this right, but we endure all things, that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly at the altar have their share with the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you again as the teacher, as the one who is the author of your word, that you would instruct us, God, in our spirits by your spirit, and that we would hear you, respond to you in faith and obedience. And God, that your work would be done in us to bring us into greater alignment with yourself and that um, your life, God, would be seen in us, manifest through us, and that you would be praised and honored, God, in every aspect of our being. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, last week in chapter 8, we started a three-chapter section here that Paul is talking about Christian liberty. And he emphasized very much the word knowledge in chapter 8. And in chapter 9, he's emphasizing the word rights. Knowledge and rights, and when it comes to the subject of liberty, we, can, we are very quick to insist on those things. I know what my liberty is. I know what my rights are. And Paul says, um, we've got a little bit to talk about here. Before going any further, I, 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 I should have done this just right after the scripture reading, but um, I just saw my note to myself here. Two things I've been forgetting to announce to you. One is that we have not been good as a church at having a regular baby dedication time. And so because we've done that so infrequently, I think a lot of folks probably think we don't even have babies here um, or we don't do dedications. Both of those would be wrong. Um, so we're going to put it on the calendar and it's going to be a yearly thing. It's going to be in January and we're going to try and coincide the baby dedication with the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so those of you that are having babies and you would like to have your baby dedicated, you can just plan on that's when it's going to be, okay? The other thing is we're also at His Hill every year now. We're going to try and have a trip to Israel with our second-year students, and that is going to be open to anybody else that would like to come. It's going to be on a limited basis because we're going to try and keep these trips small. Uh, we did the first one in March, <clears throat> and... Um, and the, the pals were there, and, and the Martins were there, and it was a great trip. And if you'd like to know um, whether you can handle it, you can talk to Jim and Barb or Wendy, and, um, and they can tell you. Uh, you can't talk to Glenn. He's with the Lord. Um, it's not because of the trip to Israel. Um, and we're envious of Glenn that he's with the Lord. So anyway, that's going to be in March every year. And this year, I think the dates are roughly March 12th to the 23rd. 
And I'll be getting some um, um, brochures together again from the leader of the trip, Stan Mon, and putting those out so you can look at them. And anytime you have any questions, just ask me. Um, we'll have to start buying airline tickets um, probably in December. And so, um, so you, that's kind of a target date so we can get the best affairs on that. So love to have you join us if you would be interested in doing that. Back to the text. <clears throat> Paul is, is having a, a real problem here, um, as he has throughout the letter to the Corinthians. And, um, and, in, and in this chapter in particular, he's having to defend the fact that he's an apostle and explain why he has not taken money from the churches. Um, aren't assumptions you know, a wonderful thing? Um, we all make them. Um, we know that, that in marriages, that, that's probably the biggest part of getting adjusted to each other is that we have these assumptions that we bring into marriage, these expectations, and then they aren't met. And we go, what do we do with this? We are, are great at, at, at having false assumptions and false expectations that we put on people. Um, you know, Jesus, I just, in reading through the Gospels in my, in my Bible reading, just, you know, again, just so um, amazing how when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane um, and Peter woke up and took out his sword and chopped off the high priest slave's ear and, um, and Jesus told him to put away his sword. And then he said, don't you know that I could call 12,000 legion or 12 legion of angels and, um, and my father would deliver me um, from this. And, you know, and you think there was an assumption there that Jesus was powerless and he was weak because he didn't, make, he didn't utilize the angels that were at his disposal. That was a bad assumption. He had plenty of power available to him. We assume all kinds of things as well. I know that our, our students, every time they see me um, do something even remotely athletic, they're in shock. Um, they, they, they go, wow, you know, Charlie, can, he can really, he can bowl, you know, and I, and I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I can hit down a few pins. You know, they, man, you know, he, he's not bad even. And, um, you know, or the other day I, I got out the jump rope and I skipped a little bit. And, you know, I thought, like, wow, he can skip a rope. And I, man. And, you know, and, and um, now if they assume that I can't dance because I don't dance, well, they're right. I can't <laughs> dance. And Larry Gallo likes to rub that in on occasion that I, that I can't dance. Um, but not all assumptions are anywhere close to being right. Um, it's known in the torchbearer circles that, that his hill is one of only maybe two torchbearer schools where women are not doing the Bible lectures. And that's a personal conviction of mine. It's not shared broadly in torchbearers. But there's all kinds of other assumptions that come from that. And one is that whenever... Patsy's traveling with me, and she happens to be wearing a, a dress or a skirt. They think, well, it's just because Charlie's so conservative. He doesn't allow her to wear pants. You know, she can only wear a skirt. And silly. So sometimes she has to pack jeans just so everybody knows that she's, she's not in, you know, they think a nutcase or something. Um, or I'm a slave master. But um, all kinds of, of wrong assumptions that we can make. Um, we have a neighbor up at his hill that was kind of spreading out on, on her property and, and way onto his hill property. And she said she didn't have any money to, to have a survey done of her property. And so 
was, and so it was paid for on her behalf to have a survey done. And now she's mad and she's hired a lawyer and I'm supposed to meet with her and the lawyer. And I'm thinking, I just, you know, assumptions can be a bad thing. We don't want you to assume that you have two acres when you only have a quarter of an acre. And, you know, and, 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 but it, it's just amazing the problems that can develop. And, but with Paul here, he's dealing with an assumption that people are making that he's not really an apostle. And, and that if he were, then he would be exercising his rights. And they don't even see that, there's, that this is not a problem. But, but, but we can just so assume that when people are not living in strength, it's because they're weak. When people are not exercising their rights, it's because they don't have any rights. When people are, are choosing not to, to charge for their ministry, as Paul was the case with Paul, it's because he doesn't think he has the right to charge for his ministry, that his message is not worth anything. So some in the Corinthian church, as one person has said, had apparently concluded that because Paul did not exercise his rights, he didn't have any rights. And already we've seen in the letter here to, to the Corinthians that they had problems with Paul because of his message. It was too simplistic. It was just focused on Christ crucified, and that's not very acceptable. And, and so Paul had to tell them, to the, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men, and the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men. But they didn't like his message. They had a problem with his methods because he didn't use eloquent speech and, and, and superior um, ways and, and, and try to persuade people because of his rhetoric and his eloquence and all that training that he got from the, from the Greek side of his life. And, and so he wasn't using that persuasive words of wisdom. They had problems with that. And Paul says, I, will, I have determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I will not use persuasive words of human eloquence and wisdom. And they had, a char they had a problem now in this chapter because he wasn't charging for his ministry. And they must have figured, it seems, that he, was, you know, he wasn't worthy. And, that, and he knew he wasn't. And so that's why he didn't ask for anything in response to, to his ministry. They couldn't have been more wrong. And so in these first 14 verses that I read in the scripture reading, it's really Paul's lengthy defense of the fact that, one, he is an apostle. And secondly, as an apostle, he has rights. But he also has the right not to exercise his rights. And just as he, he says, I have liberties, but I have the liberty to not use my liberties. And see, it's not really a liberty if you're controlled by it and can't give it up. And if, in the same sense, you can be controlled by your rights. I have my rights. Husband might say, I have the right to be treated with respect. Wife says, I have the right to be loved and cherished and nurtured. You're right. You do. But we don't have the right to insist on our rights. But we should have the freedom in Christ to lay aside our liberties and our rights for the sake of Christ and others. So he says, am I not an apostle in the first verse? Have I not seen our Lord Jesus? Are you not my work in the Lord? There are people today that, that claim to be an apostle. I have a friend who's told me that he believes he is a modern-day apostle. And, and there are many that, that currently believe that. Um, these are the criteria that Scripture gives for determining an apostle. 
Paul's just given one of them. Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? In Acts chapter 1, when Judas had already gone out and, and killed himself, that Peter said, we need to have a replacement for Judas. And, and one of the main things he was looking for was someone who has seen the Lord Jesus, who has been with Jesus and, and seen him. Now, Paul was not a follower of Jesus during his earthly ministry, but he had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he says, that is one of the indications, one of the proofs that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who can claim that today? And so the, the first criteria of being an apostle is something that nobody today can claim. And if they do claim it, there's no way to prove it. The second is that Paul says that you can look at the ministry here. And it has this, the signs of, of being an apostle in that the churches that are being established and the miracles that are being performed. And he makes reference to the miracles in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. These are the signs of an apostle. Miracles, principally, as well as having seen Christ raised from the dead. So we shouldn't accept too readily when people today claim to be apostles. But then he gets into his rights. And so he says, first of all, we have in verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? And what he's speaking of is having his basic needs met, his basic needs covered when he goes into different areas and preaches. We have the right for, to have room and board. We have the right to have bread and water. Who would dispute that? Secondly, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? All the other apostles are, and the brothers of Jesus are, and even in particular Cephas, who this church was really fond of, says they're all taking along wives. And he says, but Barnabas and I have chosen not to. Doesn't mean we couldn't. And see, if you bring along a wife, that means there's more support that these churches have to provide. Because not only are you providing for the preacher, you have to provide for his wife as well. I'm always reminded of a friend of mine who, who spent quite a bit of time in a, another country, I won't name it, um, great country, great people there, but they haven't been taught to give. And it's a Western developed nation. And this friend of mine said that he spent anywhere from a month to three months at a time in that country preaching, teaching, and, and on one of those trips, three months long, the only honorarium he ever received was a jar of jam. Everything else was completely at his expense. His airfare over there and back, his entire support while he was there, there was just an assumption that he didn't need it, and so they didn't give him anything but a jar of jam. That's sad. On the other hand, I have um, another friend who told me he was ministering in a developing Eastern Europe country, um, one that used to be behind the Iron Curtain. And, um, and when he got there and, and, and met the, the pastor that, of the church where he was going to be preaching, the pastor handed him a list, which was basically a shopping list. Computer, printer, scanner, and he says, what am I supposed to do with this? And he says, you're supposed to get these things for me. And um, he said, why do you think I would do that? And he says, because you're American and you're rich and you're the head of a ministry. And so he goes, well, I'm the ministry here. I don't have a board. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have staff. I, I, um, I, I don't have an organization. It's me. 
And he goes, really? I just assumed that every person that came over here was the president of something and had, you know, all kinds of money available to him. And he goes, not what you think. It's amazing the assumptions that we can make. But Paul is saying, I have the right. Every minister of the gospel does. Has the right to have his basic needs met. Has the right to even have his wife travel with him. And then he says, and do I not, and then, um, and then verse 6, or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? He says, I even have the right to be supplied in such a way that I would not have to have a part-time job. But Paul willingly took the part-time jobs of making tents and perhaps other things. He never insisted upon his rights. Never. He always served at his, at his own expense. You can begin to think that either he thinks he's not worthy or you can think he's independently wealthy. Both of those would be wrong. The truth is in the middle where it usually is. We had a friend that um, used to be a, a missionary to Mexico. He was born there to missionary families, to missionary parents, and spent his whole life um, in Mexico. And he was quite the evangelist and, and saw many churches get started. And, and he told me that in early on in his ministry, it, just, it, was, it was easiest to get around on a horse. And so he bought a horse, and he would just ride from village to village. And as he'd meet people along the roads and you know, just along the trails in these mountains, that he would, he would stop and hand a tract to them and witness to them from on top of the horse. And he always sensed a little bit of resistance, that there was not quite the openness that he wanted to have. And so he realized it was because he was on a horse. And that every time he reached down, it, was, it, was, it gave the impression of a superior offering something to an inferior. And he goes, that's a barrier. He sold his horse. And he spent the rest of his ministry walking on foot all over Mexico so that there would not be that elevation difference and that barrier presented. And he saw that his ministry just, just flourish because he took that away. But people made the wrong assumptions because he was on horseback. And there are probably others that made the wrong assumption because he walked on foot. It's amazing the assumptions that we can make. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? And in these next verses, 7 through 14, it all comes down to the principle of verse 11. If we have sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? We love the verse, at least Brian Stamis and I do every time we barbecue, of verse 9, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And so we always sample the barbecue as we're eating, and, that's, and we quote that. Um, but Paul says that verse is not about ox, not about feeding animals, giving them, because again, I've never seen a muzzle on an ox. You put a muzzle on a dog. You don't put a muzzle on a cow, on an ox. And, and the point is, it, it, you just don't keep the cow, the ox, from eating while he's working. Even the ox gets its food. And then Paul says, God didn't write that verse about animals. He wrote that verse about people. How much more the person should be allowed to benefit from his work. In this case, from his ministry. Why would you go to work for somebody that doesn't pay you? And, and Paul says, there's, a, there's an expectation, a right is the better word, to be provided for when you're handling God's word. 
If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much that we should reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not the more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. There he begins to explain himself. Why didn't you use this right? He says, because we didn't, because there's going to be people, just as there's going to be people, you can't win for losing, can you? There's going to be people who say that by not charging, then you have nothing worth offering. Or that you yourself consider your message is, has no value. And there's going to be, but Paul figured there's going to be even more people would say, by coming in and asking people to take care of my needs, there are going to be people who are saying that's the only reason he's come is to fleece the sheep. And he says, so I chose, and Barnabas chose, to never take a dime from anybody. Now, it's true that after Paul left a church, if they took up a collection for him and sent it to him, he would eagerly receive it with thanksgiving. But he apparently was in the practice of not taking money at the time that he was at a church and serving that church. After he left, different story. But while he was there, he would not do anything to give the impression that he was there because of the money. Pretty amazing, actually. And he did it so that not to be a hindrance to the gospel. Now, having established that he has the rights to be cared for. Now he goes in, beginning in verse 15, to all of his reasons for not exercising those rights. And it really comes down to he wants to, to not do anything to hinder people from receiving the gospel. And he himself personally wants to partake of the gospel, the heart of the gospel message. Not just preach the gospel, but in other words, live the gospel. So we'll see as we get to that. So verse 15. But I have used none of these things, these rights. I am not writing these things that it may be done so in my case. For it would better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. It's pretty amazing. It had to pain Paul to even point out to the Corinthians that the reason that he never took a dime from them was because he didn't want to hinder their reception of the gospel. So he has to bring up this fact. You never gave me anything. And that's okay. Because I didn't come there to get anything from you, but to give to you. Had to be very painful for Paul to remind them that he never took anything from them. And he says, and I'm not saying this so that you would make up for what you've lacked in the past. So I'd rather die than for you to send me a check now. For if I preach the gospel, verse 16, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. So in other words, the, the slave, when he does his job, can't boast about being a good slave. Because he's only done what he was supposed to do. Jesus makes mention of that. So he says, I have nothing to boast of because I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. This is my assignment. This is what God has given me to do. For if I do this voluntarily, meaning without pay, I have a reward. 
But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. So either way, I, he says, I have to do this. And I can do it against my will while I'm just doing my job. But if I do it without pay, now I can get some reward. See, there's no reward in just doing what you're supposed to do. And Paul's saying, I'd kind of like to be rewarded for what I'm doing. So this is the extra mile. It's going beyond what the Lord is requiring of him. And he's just doing this because he loves the Lord and he loves people. And he, and he doesn't want in any way to be a hindrance to the gospel. So he goes, it's okay. I will serve. I will minister. I will do what God's given me to do joyfully and even without expectation of any recompense. Because I have a reward in heaven. What then, verse 18, is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So great. And again, it, 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 it was exceptional among the apostles. And it would be exceptional even today, at least in this country, where the more well-known a person becomes, the higher his own expectations often are of what he wants to get for where he travels and where he speaks. And even others who have who just assume that's the way it's going to be. And that he may not be worth his salt if he's not charging a huge honorarium. I know the Crisis Pregnancy Center Ministries when they bring in, they have their, their, their yearly um, galas and they bring in guest speakers. One of the things that they have to figure on is, is how much it's going to cost to bring in a person with name recognition. And it's not unusual. I know because my brother is in charge of that ministry in San Antonio. It's not unusual to have to give $100,000 to somebody who comes in and speaks at a fundraising event for um, pro-life ministry. Pretty amazing. And it's required. If you want this person, this is what you got to do. I was asked to speak um, at a church and um, I tell you, I, I, you know, they, they thought that it would, pers- I guess, because they, they send out, they, they invite different people. They don't have a pastor at this particular church and they just bring in guest speakers every Sunday and I haven't spoken there, but, but I, they, they said, this is who we are. This is how we run our ministry. And if you come in, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll pay for your airfare. We'll put you up in a hotel and we'll give you, this will be your honorarium. It's like it's supposed to be the deal clincher, you know, tell you how much we're going to give you. And all the, now you'll say yes. I, I honestly was not impressed with that. And I, it's, I said yes, but I'm, you know, it's just, I really struggle. I don't want, I can see where Paul's going. I, I, I only want to give the impression that I'm doing this because of the money. It should not even be a factor. And it absolutely was not for Paul. So he says that he chooses not to make full use of his right in the gospel. Verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. So if people's expectations are that people minister in order to enrich themselves, then guess what? I'm not going to take a dime. The gospel's too important. 
And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. Now, Paul is a Jew, but he is not under any longer, as a Christian, he is not under what the Jews say he has to do because he's a Jew. He says, I've been set free from that. And then he says, to those who are under the law, I will minister to them as being under the law, though not being under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. This is very, very clear. There are so many Christians today who are not even Jewish, they're Gentile, who think that we are under the law, that we should be keeping the commandments of Moses. I don't know how Paul could have been more clear here. He is a Jew, and he is not under the law. Absolutely not. But note, he quoted the law when it came to not muzzling the ox. So he's not saying the Old Testament has no value today. That would be an extreme we don't want to go to. It is the Word of God, and it, and it is in all Scripture, is profitable, is inspired, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All of it. So even though we are not under the law of Moses, a Jew's not under it, certainly a Gentile's not under it, that doesn't mean it has no value for us today. It has great value. But we're not under it. God doesn't expect us to keep the laws of Moses. So then he speaks about those who are not Jews. Verse 21, to those who are without law, not outlaws, but they have no law because they're not Jews. As I live as though without law. And then he's very careful. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. I wish this, these two verses were just tattooed inside our brains. Because I, 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 people go to, you know, they go to one extreme or the other when it comes to law. I am not under the law. We are under the law. And those who say I'm not under the law mean that I have absolute freedom to do whatever I want. And they forget verse 21. You may not be under the law, but you are not without law. You are under the law of God, under the law of Christ. Well, what is that law? It's everything Jesus said. It's the entire New Testament. It is just as with the Old Testament, it can all be summarized with love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor um, above yourself. It can also, the law of Christ can be summarized the same way. But the law of Christ is not just be loving toward one another. There's so much more with the law of Christ. This is why God's given us the New Testament. It is the law of Christ. And it is not optional for us any more than the Ten Commandments was optional for the Jewish people or any of the rest of the Old Testament law of Moses. And Paul says, I never want to give the impression that I am antinomian, that I am without law. I never want to give the impression that I'm under the law of Moses, that I am legalistic. I'm not legalistic, Paul says, but I am under the law. And it is the law of God the law of Christ, and it controls everything that I do, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might 
then I, then I became weak. I have become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And so there he gives the two reasons for why he has not exercised his liberties and his rights. One, I have become all things to all men that I might win some. This is not when in Rome do as the Romans. Because that's too broad. Paul never sinned in order to be acceptable to others. But Paul was willing to lay aside his freedoms, his rights, his liberties, in order to do nothing that would be a hindrance to the gospel. So if he was eating with a person that thought it was wrong to eat pork, Paul didn't eat pork. No way. He says, I'll become a vegetarian before I'll I'll cause somebody to be ruined because of meat. When Paul was with the Jews, he acted as a Jew. When Paul was with the Gentiles, he acted as a Gentile. So long as what he was doing did not violate the law of Christ. That's the thing. We didn't spend a lot of time last Sunday talking about all the different areas where Christian liberties um, are an issue. And it goes on and on. I, I don't even like going there, but the things that come up the most, you know, are, are not just alcohol and smoking, um, but with the young people that come through his hill, it, it's, it's typically um, tattoos and, um, you know, can you not, can you, can you not, that kind of thing with tattoos, and they're very popular. What does the Bible have to say about it? Yoga is another one. You know, lots of churches have yoga in them. This church does not. And, you know, whether is there such a thing as a Christian yoga, is a, Christian, is a Christian's free to do yoga? Um, and so we can debate these things till the cows come home, you know, of, of what is permissible, what isn't. One thing is not debatable. Any behavior that violates the essence of who Christ is is not acceptable. Any behavior that would keep somebody else from coming to faith in Christ is not acceptable. That's the bottom line. And that's what Paul is saying here. I will not do anything that contradicts the person of Christ. Nothing. I will not do anything that would hinder someone else from coming to faith in Christ. I do all things that I might become all things to all men that I might win some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Um, Time for Christ, the ministry that that Larry heads up, is looking for an evangelist for their Christmas um, missions trip. I think, Larry, you said you're not an evangelist. Don't have the gift of that. I don't have the gift of evangelism. But I don't believe Paul is just speaking about himself and those who have the gift of evangelism when he says, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. This is something that's on every one of us. We should constantly be thinking about the lost, praying for the lost, and examining our lives before God and saying, God, is there anything here that I'm doing that would keep somebody else from coming to know you? 
And that's where I said sometimes we just need to, rather than just think we know the answer to that question, we should ask the very people that we're praying for and like to see come to faith in Christ. Why not just be honest and say, is there anything about my life that would hinder you from placing your faith in Christ? Because the one thing I want more than anything else is for you to put your faith in Jesus. And I just want you to know that. I love you. You're my neighbor. You're my coworker. I've known you for years. And um, just want to know because it's very important to me. Family members that have not yet come to know Christ. I remember my, my dad's mom one time said to me, um, we've been praying. She, she, we didn't know whether she was saved or not. She, she claimed to be a Christian, but, but there was no indication that she knew the Lord. And she told me sitting at the, at the kitchen table here in Bernie one time years ago, just the two of us sitting there, and, and, and she never had been vulnerable like she was that morning. And she said, Charlie, she goes, I, I believe I'm a Christian. But when I'm with, in this home with this family, I feel like I'm not a Christian. Why is that? And I went, wow. I'm so glad she asked. And it, it, it put the shoe back on my foot. You know, what are we doing? That, you know, again, there, there, there just needs to be honest conversations sometimes. We pray, we hope, we give hints, we try to be a quiet influence. Sometimes there just needs to be an open conversation. Have I done anything that would hinder you from receiving Christ? I have a friend, a brother in Christ, and, and, um, and on three different occasions, I've been told by people that, he had a problem with me, and he was kind of, you know, working to undermine me a bit. And three different people told me that from, you know, different parts of the world. And, and so we had, a, had an occasion to be together and, and actually to spend some time in prayer together. And I just started it out. And I said, listen, I, I, I've had three different people tell me that you have a problem with me. And so I asked him, what have I done to offend you? And what do I need to do to seek forgiveness? Because I want to make this right. Because I don't just assume that he's right and, you know, I'm right and he's wrong. But what have I done to hurt you? Because obviously I've done, you're a good man. Obviously I've done something here. And I'd genuinely like to know what it is so I can ask your forgiveness for it. We need to have those conversations. But then the second thing and it controlled the first thing, that I might become a fellow partaker of the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, did not regard equality with God, his rights, his freedom, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself. And became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the dead. The heart of the gospel, the heart even of the resurrection message. The gospel is not the gospel without the resurrection. But the heart of the gospel, the starting point, Jesus humbled himself and died. Gave up everything, dying for us. How can I preach 
the gospel and be thinking about what's in it for me. Are my needs being met? How can you live in a home and say, it's just Jesus, but treat me with respect? It's just Jesus, but love me the way I'm supposed to be loved. And we develop anger and hardness because we're not getting what we deserve. And I think Paul would say to us, don't just preach. Partake personally of the message. And it is a message of humbling one's self for the sake of others. And it is not about our liberties and our rights. It's about Christ, Him being exalted, and other people hopefully being drawn to Him. As we don't always stand up for ourselves and insist upon what we think is right, does that mean you become a doormat for others? Sometimes it does. Whatever it takes to be a partaker of the gospel and for others to come to know him. Not too many people come to know Christ because we fight for our rights. And not too many people are going to sense the sweet aroma of Jesus who gave up his rights when we're standing and fighting for ours. Does that mean that we should let government violate its own laws? Apparently Paul thought, no. Because when they stretched him out to beat him unjustly as a Roman citizen, at least on one occasion he stopped him and said, I'm a Roman citizen, and this is against the law. And I don't think Paul saw a contradiction because he loved not only men, he also was honoring to government. And he knew that, that laws in themselves are good things, not bad things. And that when a government is abusing its authority, that is not good. And so he wasn't against the government. He was serving the interest of the government when he insisted that the government obey its own laws. But it wasn't about him. It's about Christ. And upholding even the government that God has put into place. They're not easy things. They're complicated as far as the application. The truth is very simple. We've been put here on this planet and saved by the grace of God that others would know Jesus, not so that we would have our way in everything that happens. God has saved us and given us this amazing opportunity in the years that we have here to speak concerning Jesus and hopefully be used of him to see others come to faith in Christ. Immense privilege. And it's not just about preaching a message, but it's actually partaking of the very message we preach. So what's true of Jesus is fleshed out in you and me. And that excites me. And we live that way, partaking of the very message that we preach. The downside is there will be people who see us as just being weak and incompetent with nothing to offer because we've chosen humility rather than self-righteousness or power.
that's okay. The consequences of living in Christ and for Christ are Christ's business and his alone. I'll close this in prayer. God, I thank you for these very clear words that you've given here. And again, I know that Paul's heart had to be torn apart, that he had to even write these things in what appeared to be defense of himself, where he had to explain his motivation when his motivation was nothing but pure and simple and godly. And the same thing happens to us too, Lord. We ask for your grace, Lord, to be gracious when we're under attack, to be kind, Lord, when we're misunderstood and false assumptions are placed on us, that we wouldn't become defensive of ourselves. We just understand this, that this is part of the territory of yielding to you and putting you first. There will be misunderstanding. But the consequences, God, of, of, of having Jesus first, I pray, pray that we would be free to even leave those in your hands. And not to spend our lives, God, as I too often have done, in trying to explain and defend. We want to walk humbly. We want to partake, God, of the message that we've been given to share with this world. I pray that we'd be clear and bold in making Jesus known. And I pray that our ambition would be both to see people know you and also to personally experience and partake of the cross of Jesus Christ and all that that cross means. In Jesus' name, amen.